hoping to find that note. So I'll have to wing it. <laughs> These are crazy times, all this is introduction. They seem to get crazier by the day. Since I did not ask permission to do this, I'll kind of cover it. We've got one family in our church who has a uh, father as a teacher, live right here in Oregon. And that father, who has a very sick wife, is on the cusp of losing his job because he went into a restroom and there were there was a mixed multitude, if you know what I mean. And he kindly, because he's a very kind and gentle man, suggested that was not the thing. They've come after him, had official hearings. He's not been dismissed yet, but chances are he will be. That's the kind of thing that's going on all over the country. It's going in Canada. He might have been thrown in jail in Canada. I mean, it's almost tyrannical up there. Now, just to let everybody be real hopeful and just think about what good days we're living in, let's see what we've got going on. All of this is going to relate in a minute to this passage. We've got all kinds of mayhem and murder going on all over the world, and we've got it going on right here in our country. We've got it going on right here in our city. Craziness. You've got the threat of World War III breaking out. You say, well, that's always been ever. No, it hasn't. Not like this. I wish I could go on. I don't have the time. You've got the horror of abortion rising to the level of infanticide in some states. Infanticide. The baby is born and then you have a certain amount of time and then you can decide, I don't want it, kill it. Can you believe that's going on in our country? You've got banks, the threat of economic chaos. You've got banks wobbling the 16th largest bank in the United States went belly up just about a week ago. Is that right? About a week ago, I think. Got all that kind of stuff going on. You've got amorality and immorality everywhere. I mean, at a level we haven't seen before. I've got to cut it short. I could go on and on, maybe for the rest of the term of this message. Things are really bad out there, and they're getting worse. What's it have to do with our passage today? Because this passage today with, has to do with knowing the true God in Christ Jesus. People want hope. There is no hope outside of that, outside of knowing him. So the most relevant thing you can hear today is what Jesus is saying because some things correspond between now and that day. So we pick up where we left off last week. I'll back up a couple of verses 
Let me get to John. I had it there one minute. Incidentally, I'm using the NIV because it's got larger print, not because it's a better text. It's good. No criticism. But I'm just letting you know that. Okay, we go down to we go down to verse 28 of John chapter 11. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me. They're talking about where he's from. He couldn't be the Messiah because he was not from Bethlehem. That's what they thought. Yes, you know me. I'll translate that a little differently. It's not translation. I'll just amplify it so you get the same. Yes, you know me. I'm from Nazareth. At least you think you know me. Yeah, you know where I'm from. At least you think you do. You happen to be wrong. I am not here standing before you. I'm paraphrasing a bit. On my own authority. But he who sent me is true. There the the Greek word can mean true in several senses. He means he's for real. You, he's talking to whom? The Jews. He's talking to all the church people of his day. The synagogues. find my place again. You do not know him. You don't know the one that sent me. But I know him because I am from him, meaning he's from heaven. And he, the Father in heaven, sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Right there's a mystery. We want to talk about that. Because his hour had not yet come. They want to add him in the worst way. He doesn't have an armed guard around him. Still, and this is interesting, many in that crowd of hostiles believed in him. For they were saying, they were reasoning. When the Messiah comes, of course, he's supposed to come with all these signs and wonders. Could he possibly perform more signs, supernatural signs, than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things, and they were getting upset. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for a short time, and then I'm going. Going back, he means, to the one who sent me. They weren't getting this. You will look for me, but you will not find me. Where I am... You cannot come. That blew right past them. Jesus said, the Jews said to one another, what's this guy talking about? Where does this man intend to go that we can't find him? We've got a long arm. Will he go to our people, the diaspora, who live scattered among the Greeks, the Gentiles, and is going to teach them? Ironically, That was exactly what he was going to do, but through his apostles. What does he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? All right, let's talk about all that. The Lord, 
accuses the Jerusalemites of being ignorant of the God in whom they took such pride, such fierce pride. But the God they worshipped proves not to be Yahweh at all, not the one who really is, but the God, these are the Jews, who is a figment of their own imagination. They did not recognize God the Father in his Son. Now that phenomenon is nothing new. Throughout history, men and women have and still are creating mythical Jesuses and a mythical God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you this, if Christ were to appear on earth in our time as he did then, he would get the same reception reception he got from the Jews the first time. Their profound ignorance of God, of God's nature, and of the import of the revelation Their profound ignorance of all of that proves that they didn't get Moses at all and they professed to revere Moses. Jesus says about the Father, I do know him and you're rejecting me because I am from him, from the Father, the one who sent me. Obviously, the spiritual implications are profoundly serious. There's a lesson here. It is obvious that the theory of many ways to God is bogus. Now, that's very contemporary. You hear that out there all the time in the streets, street theology. Well, I believe there are many ways to God. Well, many things tell us otherwise, Jesus is saying otherwise right here. If you don't know me, you don't know the Father. If you don't recognize the Father in me, you don't recognize the Father in heaven. If there were many ways to God, in fact, Jesus would never have needed to come into the world. Why would he? The Jews were as religious as anyone has ever been. They had in their own way not a good way, a real zeal for God. Romans 10, verses 2 through 3, the Apostle Paul says that explicitly. He says, I give them this, they have a zeal for God, just like the Muslims have a zeal for Allah. But it's not according to knowledge. God sent his Son into the world to save them and us from our sins. And if you're here and you're not a believer in Christ Jesus, you were the target of his coming. He wants you to be saved. But they rejected him and with him his mission. And in the process, they lost the one and only provision God made for man's salvation, which we've celebrated in communion. Look, folks, people can talk nebulously and do about God and about a relationship with God and about faith and about hope. But God made himself known through his son. There are two sources of revelation, two and only two in this world. One is natural revelation. You see it all about us. 
you see what this Webb telescope is revealing. It's just awesome. That's one. But it doesn't tell us about a Savior. It tells us about God. And then there is this revelation, which God has caused to be preserved for us. What we do with the Son of God is what we do with his Father. Jesus says, reject me, and you reject the other, the Father. There is no bypass around Jesus Christ. I quoted it earlier. If you're here and you don't know Christ, listen carefully. Jesus, not Jim, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Philip had said to him, Lord, just show us the Father. Jesus says, Philip, have you been living under a rock? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. At this point, they were livid. They were breathing like fire like dragons. Now the gloves come off. There's no more hiding it. Although there Jesus was, something John doesn't explain. How they weren't able to get their hand. Am I losing sound here? Is that breaking up? Maybe it's just me breaking up. I want to call your attention to this curious powerlessness to arrest him. They could not exercise as much as they tried their hostile intent. Now, you want some hope? I'm going to give you some. I'm going to tell you how much this is affecting some of us. I never heard this in my life. Aussie watches TV and the news more than I do. Uh, she's never liked guns. Not because she has, uh, she thinks they shouldn't be. It's not that. She's just always afraid of being, being a danger around the house. Now, I have a gun. She said, after listening to the news, she said, Jimmy, do you think you ought to go out to a gun range and get some practice? It's been a long time since you've shot a gun. Aim, pull a trigger, fire. I know how to do that. But she says, these things are getting so bad, I wonder if we don't need some protection around here. I said, honey, I'm depending on you to take care of that. <laughs> but she was serious. Well, right here is something that gives me hope, comfort, gives me comfort. They were seeking, verse 30, to apprehend him, but no one laid a hand on him. Because why? His hour, his appointed hour of humiliation and crucifixion had not yet come. Right here we have a strange case of what I call not sovereign intervention, it could be called that, but sovereign prevention. John does not explain the factors involved in their official inability 
to execute their hostile intent right then and there. Beyond implying that it was what we sometimes call in our day a God thing. Listen up. I doubt I'm not a prophet. Don't profess to have any prophetic gift in the sense of having visions of God and all that sort of thing. But I just have a sense that most of us are not going to get a lot further down the road before we begin to feel the pinch seriously. Jim, I thought you said something about hope. (laughs) I get you. Well, listen up. When the world comes after us, God will sell as it were no wine before it's time. Jesus came into the world to reveal the true and living God to them. And in the Father's time, there was going to be a time, we all know that, a day and an hour when he would sacrifice his son for our sins. But right here, their timetable and God's did not match up. So their malignant human plans to do away with Jesus did not materialize on their clock because it was not the Father's time. His hour had not yet come. Well, hear this. Men plan, the world plans, but God decides the outcome due season. There was a time and a place in the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God for first the Savior to come into the world and second to die for our sins. Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5 tells us that in due season, after the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son there was a day and an hour, not a, not a dime early, not a dime short. There was a day and an hour when this was going to happen, and it did happen. Born after, born of a woman, born under the law. Not before, not later. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know what's going to happen to us. I don't know what's going to happen to the outward expression of the local church. I don't know how tough it's going to become. I don't know how much longer we will have the freedom we have or to say under the banner of free speech. I don't know any of that. But I know I'm not liking what I'm seeing. But I'll tell you this. I'm not quaking in my boots, nor should you. Because the world can't have us until the Father says yes. And when he says yes, we want to say, not my will, but yours be done. There's no use as some people are doing. I mean, the gun stores are going crazy. There's no use to go out and arm yourself to the teeth and get ready to battle it out with the people on the left. And that's where it's coming from that are coming after us. No use to do that. They can't have us until our arrow has come. And they won't get us. 
of when God unleashes the demonic on us, then there's no use to run and hide. Now, don't get me wrong. I want you to understand this clearly because I can really be misunderstood. I do not mean that we should run into the arms of those who would hurt us. We don't want to do that. Some in the early church, they actually did. They actually went in droves. You may not realize this. They got into this martyr thing big time. And martyrs were so elevated in their eyes, they wanted to be martyrs. They wanted to be. And they were killed by the hundreds, slaughtered. No, I'm not saying that. I'm merely saying that when it's clear that God, for his own reasons, has seen fit to place us in harm's way, and there is no logical or legal route of escape, then let's leave matters to God's sovereign hands. Hope I haven't created any misunderstanding there. Even so, I want you to see something else that's very hopeful. I want you to see in verse 31, light breaking in darkness. Find my place here in this unfamiliar Bible. Let's go back to verse 30. Let me read the whole thing. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still, get that still. This was in a very hostile environment like we're living in right now. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. Their reasoning was, when the Messiah comes, there's no way he's going to do more supernatural things than than this man, Jesus. And so they trusted in him. That was a work of the Spirit. Now, even so, there was a thick gathering of darkness all over Jerusalem and Judea at that time, just like the darkness is gathering over us and over other parts of the world. A demonic fury was closing in on the Savior. The saving hand of God, note, was still active at the moment. Never discount that saving hand of God. The spirit was still gleaning. Let me talk about that word gleaning. You know, it's an Old Testament word. And the poor people would go through after they did all the harvest. And you know, there was an apple here and an orange there. I'm not in that country. And the poor people would pick those things off. That was called gleaning. In my perception, what's going on in America today, not necessarily other parts of the world, is gleaning. You're not having tons of people coming to Christ. But people are still finding Christ. The Spirit of God is gleaning among the harvest fields. And that was what was going on here. The majority of these people in Jerusalem and Judea, nah, he's not for real. He didn't have the right address, you know, all that kind of thing. He's from up in Nazareth. And besides, 
He didn't appear out of nowhere, and that's what's supposed to happen to the Messiah. He's not the real deal. But the Spirit of God tweaked the minds and hearts of some of these people. And a lot of them were right here in this darkest hour. They were coming to Christ. Well, that happens. That happens. Well, verse 32, the Pharisees overheard the multitudes muttering these things about Jesus. They didn't like it. You know, it was, they wanted to cancel him. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, they wanted to cancel him. They wanted to shut those people up. They wanted to silence him. Tell those people not to say that. This is not a land of free speech. Tell them to shut up and not talk about him anymore. We'll get hold of them and do them damage. So the Pharisees... They overheard the multitudes, verse 32, muttering these things about him. And the chief priest and the Pharisees, all now police action. They had official guards around the temple. They were Levites. They had badges. I'm kidding. But they had badges. And they came in and they made a show of force. They sent officers, the temple police, which was their official name, to seize him. All the leaders wanted to do was squelch such questions. This is not free speech time. They didn't want those questions answered. So their response, the response of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Senate, made up of a majority of Sadducees, people of priestly descent, the powerful, the wealthy, and the Pharisees. And they wanted to put a collar on Jesus. Aware of all this confusion and conversation in the background, Jesus declares cryptically. Why would he declare it cryptically? Sometimes God speaks cryptically because if you're not inclined to hear, you won't hear. So Jesus, he speaks the truth, but in a way it floats by the unwilling ears of those who don't really want to hear it. The issue in their minds was settled. I think the Spirit of God still does that when the truth confronts gospel-hardened people. There's no way to get through their ears. There's no way they're going to hear. They hear, but they just don't get it. And Jesus says, this is what was cryptic. Here, here. Yet a little time, I am with you. And then I'm departing to the one who sent me. That was a cryptic warning that God's patience with Israel was running short. They have but little time to embrace him, the Messiah. Messiah they did not recognize before that salvation window was gone forever. Blind as they were, they do not interpret his word correctly. They interpret him literally, not spiritually. They did not know, but he was telling them, just as I think he's telling moderns, that the meter of God's patience was about to run out, that his mercy was about to expire in the form, I've told you about this before, of an awesome destruction of Judea and Jerusalem 
just 40 years later under the savage hand of their Roman masters who were the interim instruments of God's judgment upon the nation. Hearing-wise, if they were lost causes, why did Jesus even bother to say this to them? I mean, once in a while in the ministry, there is something that to a person or a persons, I don't even bother to say. Why? Same way with Jesus. They don't want to hear it. They're not going to hear it. So why waste my breath? This was one of those occasions only Jesus wasted his breath in cryptic. Why would he do that? There were two reasons, I think. One, there were those among them, as we saw back there in verse 31, to whom God had given ears before the clock ran out, and they did and would hear his word and his warnings. But two, there was another reason. It was a boost for the faith of his disciples. How would it boost their faith? Because they were very confused men at this time. You know, down the road, there's Peter denying our Lord. There's the rest of them making a break for them when Jesus is being arrested. But the time was coming not too far down the road when they would remember all these words of Jesus. The Spirit of God would bring it all back to them. And they would be saying what we be. He knew it all. He foresaw it all. Right there it is. You remember when he said this? Remember when he said that? Yeah. Well, I have seen God shut the door of his mercy in my ministry. I have an illustration. It's kind of one of my stock illustrations. The Lord's given me a bunch of those. They just, they always just come back to me at times like this. The man's name was Jim McKee. When I first got to that great metropolis of Polka, West Virginia, you all know about it. Everybody from here to the Mississippi knows about it, don't you? Well, I was, within the first week, I was warned about Jim McKee. Jim was a local town atheist considered by all the population to be the local town intellectual. And they told me to steer clear of him. I guess they were afraid he'd upset my faith. Anyway, I met Jim within two weeks. He was helping a neighbor with some carpentry work. He was a very bright guy. Besides being an atheist, a radical unbeliever who named his son Pilate. Yes. Jim was a Jim was a character. Well, lo and behold, over that carpentry job, Jim and I became acquainted and we became friends. I would rarely get to talk to Jim when he was sober which wasn't a lot of the time. But when he was drinking, he would come around to see me and we'd have our talks. This is a much longer story than I can make it. Anyway, 
we would even invite him in to some of our church parties when they're in somebody's house. I mean, he'd be out there making racket. We'd invite him in. He'd come in and play the blues on Aussie's piano. And he got welcomed by our people, warmly welcomed. Anyway, I always tried in those little moments to speak about Christ to him. I remember one time on a vacant lot, I talked to him about Christ or tried to. And he jumped this high off the, off the grass. When I told him, Jim, there are two people who believe in God more than anybody else in this town. You and me. I said, that's why you get so agitated when I try to talk to you about Christ. You know you're wrong. You only talk to me when it's safe, when you're drunk. And right now you're drunk. Anyway, bypass a lot of the story. It's a sad story. Just before we left town, I sold him for a handsome little price, our piano. Got some guys to take it up in his apartment where he had all of his occult books. I'd done everything to keep him close and try to bring him to a knowledge of Christ. He considered himself my friend, so when the church people were treating me like the devil, he came into our church one night, I think the only time he'd ever been there. He'd been rolling in the dust all afternoon, so he had dust on him and flies. <laughs> and he came in and he stood up in the middle of the service said, you people leave that man alone. He's a good man and cussed him out and left. <laughs> he, I took him all bloody one time to the hospital. He got over there and he was on a gurney and he told the doctor, hey, doc, do you know this fellow? I was standing right at his head. Do you know this fellow right here? Doc said, no, sir, I've never had the praise. Let me introduce him to you. Doc, this man, I'm a Baptist, he said. Jim said, I'm a Baptist. This man is my pastor. Go figure. <laughs> anyway, a week after I left, I'm talking about time running out. I tried to keep Jim close. If you don't know Christ, you listen carefully. It's just what Jesus was telling these Jews. Your meter's running out. I never told Jim that because I didn't know that. There was a light. He lived over a hardware store and there was a light out. So he wanted to change that light and he went out on the roof. Drunk. He's now trying to change the light and he fell off on his head and killed himself. The meter had run out and Jesus is telling the Jews, I'm just here a little while longer. Then I'm going back to the one who sent me. Your meter's running out. Every time you hear the gospel, my friend, you just remember the meter is running. You're not in charge of it. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying it's going to happen to the country. It's going to happen to the world. I just sense it. It's going to be awful. 
So listen and listen. Don't let the time run out on you. God can shut the door of his mercy. You will seek me, that is your Messiah. Jesus is now saying in cryptic words, you'll seek me. They took it all literally. Jesus was saying, once I'm gone, you'll be going around looking for your Messiah here and there. You're not going to find him. He's already been here. He's left the premises. Where I am, you cannot come. And they said, well, taking him literally. It's amazing how unbelievers will mess up the word of God. Well, horrible mind-bending judgment fell on the nation under Vespasian and his son Titus. You're going to be seeking me in the midst of all that horror. You're not going to find me. I've come. I've gone. I've left town. Too late, too late. Behold, my friends, today is the day of salvation. The patience and mercy of God is beyond human comprehension. But I remind you, it's not infinite. God gives every human being some light, some great, great light, as he did them. But that window does not stay open indefinitely. Today is the day of salvation. That means the day when God visits us, when he comes calling and inviting us. There will come a day, as Jesus was telling them, when we could no longer hear. And if we should hear, we will no longer respond. So Jesus is not saying you'll look for me. He does not mean him, the Messiah. But the Messiah, the real Messiah, has come and he is gone. You will seek me. You will not find me. You'll be waiting for the true Messiah who's already come and gone. Where I am, you cannot come. The door is finally and eternally closed. My friends, don't repeat their mistake. The same Savior who presented himself to them more than 2,000 years ago presents himself to you today through the voice of his spirit who speaks through his word and his servants like me, we beckon you, come to the Christ, come to the Messiah. Well, then they said, gee, where does this cat expect to go? We can't find him. Is he going off to the Greeks, the Gentiles, they're going to teach them? That's one of those ironic statements of God. That's exactly what he did. He died and he was crucified and through the Spirit he vested his apostles with his power. The Holy Spirit now inhabits every one of you and he uses you as his messengers to go into all the world. But Jesus says you're not going to be able to come. You're not going to be a part of that. So be careful what you do with Jesus. Be careful. Don't Turn your back on him. There will come a day, if you're still alive, there's come a day when you said yes, and like Jim McKean, that day has passed. There'll come a day when you can't hear because you won't hear. And that day has passed. You'll never hear the message again with understanding. That is our hope. That's the hope of the world. Jesus Christ. There is no hope for this world otherwise. What we're facing, I believe. I do not know. But I believe 
is a worldwide calamity. It may happen in my lifetime. It may not. That means the next five minutes. That's probably as long as I'm going to live. <laughs> it's going to come. But if you and I have Christ, we have the hope of the world. We have the hope of life and life everlasting. We have it in our hands, and we don't have to worry. Let's thank God for that privilege. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who came as our Redeemer, shed his blood in order that we might be the sons of the living God. We thank you for giving us light through your Spirit. In his name and for his sake, we pray. We are living in days <clears throat> that do seem to, uh, they feel, it feels like they're getting increasingly dark. And uh, um, my, my son texted me, he's, he's upstairs running the, the slides, and he texted me partway through Jim's message and said, Jesus was the first victim of cancel culture. And, uh, <clears throat> and the truth is, he's still a victim of cancel culture. He, the, the voices today that are being canceled, the Christian voices that are being canceled, it's because of Jesus. They're still trying to cancel him 2,000 years later, and we're starting to feel more and more of that <clears throat> these days, it, it seems. And, uh, but the darkness always comes before the dawn. And uh, the brightest dawn we've ever seen is, is still ahead of us uh, when Christ returns. 